With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health. Aloha, folks, and welcome to UHA's Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Kanoi Gibson of Hi Now, and we'll be connecting the dots with some of UHA's doctors and other guests on various health and wellness topics and tips. Connecting the Dots starts now. Today, we're connecting the dots on stress and coping with psychologist Dr. Jeffrey Stern. Dr. Stern was raised in Honolulu and attended the University of Hawaii at Manoa, graduating with his doctorate in clinical psychology in 2003. Now, before joining the faculty as a professor in the clinical psychology doctoral program at Chaminade here in Honolulu, Dr. Stern served as the director of social and emotional health at Iolani School. Uh, He has maintained a private practice in Honolulu since 2004, focusing on child and adolescent assessment and treatment, children with special health care needs, and consulting psychology. He is a past president of the Hawaii Psychological Association and has been involved in workplace wellness initiatives, both locally and at the national level, for more than 15 years. Dr. Stern, a lot of accolades there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Thanks for having me. I I think uh, we're talking about stress today. You know, stress is at an all-time high, of course, with COVID going on. It's been a year. I think we're all feeling it. My own hair is falling out, and I'm trying trying to deal with it myself. But when we talk about stress, what exactly is that? Well, stress isn't always a bad thing, per se. There's eustress, which is kind of positive stress that kind of brings the best out in us. Um, And then there's, of course, more like the stress we're most concerned about, the distress Um, which is felt both physically in our bodies as we can feel tension, our shoulders and our muscles get tight. uh, And um, we can feel the stress also psychologically in terms of experiencing thoughts that are stressful, ruminating and spinning on certain worries and concerns that we have. Um, Like, am I going to get COVID? I'm so nervous and stressed about COVID that I'm going to take steps to try to avoid doing things that would potentially put me at risk, um, which then has its own set of, of stressors attached to that too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've definitely felt a lot of those things that you just mentioned, you know, the, the tension in the neck and not really knowing where it was coming from. But I kind of came to this point where I was like, you know what, I think I'm stressed out. You know, there's a lot of things that we're dealing with. Uh, but then I also wonder, you know, when does it become kind of a really big issue? Everybody deals with stress, but when do we need to start worrying about it? When does it become such a negative thing? Um, so people often ask me that question, wanting to know, you know, at what point do I have to see somebody or what point should I be taking steps to get help for my stress? And the answer typically ties to your functioning and daily activities. If you are struggling to do the things that you normally do, if you've lost interest in doing the things that you used to like to do, uh, and if you particularly, if you can't function and perform your roles and responsibilities day to day that you normally would do, let's say it's preparing meals or getting up to go to work or going to work, um, or maybe you're going to work, but you're really not there mentally or emotionally, or maybe you're, you're feeling sick and, and, and are still at work because you can't take a sick day. That's when stress is starting to really take its toll because you're start, starting to impact your ability to perform your roles and responsibilities. And, and so if we get to that point where we realize, okay, I think this is happening to me, you know, what, what do we do about it? That's great. Um, there's a lot of things you can do. One of the interesting things has to do with your thinking. 
And it ties to the idea that if you don't actually think that the stress is a bad thing, that you actually reframe it as a, it's going to you know, bring out the best in us and it's going to raise our level uh, and really push us to pivot effectively, that's when it becomes more of a positive thing. And the research shows that you actually um, have blood flow, uh, increased cerebral uh, and vascular blood flow um, when you are actually thinking about your stress as a positive, as opposed to thinking about your stress as a negative. In fact, the research shows that thinking about stress as a negative is what causes people to die at an earlier age. It's tied to mortality. But if you actually do not think of your stress as a negative thing, but instead see it as a, a strengthening thing that makes you stronger, then it actually has no impact on your longevity in terms of life. Incredible, the things that the mind can do, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you were mentioning kind of this blood flow thing. How how much of um, of our minds are connected to our bodies? I mean, do, does it affect our body when we have stress? Oh, absolutely. That's a, a good point. Uh, thanks for that nice segue into that comment. Uh, so the discussion is that mind and body are intimately connected and everything we think about and, and uh, processing in terms of stress goes right into physical manifestations of stress for a lot of people. But how it manifests varies from person to person, even cultural to culture. Um, uh, my culture, it's common for us to experience our stress in our guts. And we now know that vagus nerve runs all the way down there and all the way up to our brains. And, and that's a very tight connection between digestion, irritable bowel syndrome, for example, uh, and other kinds of uh, gastrointestinal or processing issues that you might have um, and not feel well, or you may have acid reflux and all these things. Those are definitely tied to stress. Uh, and the higher your levels of stress, that's gonna affect things like appetite, um, energy levels, sleep, in particular, is affected heavily by stress, um, as well as your thought content and your thought processes. How well you are able to focus on the things that you're trying to do um, will require you either to effectively process your stress and manage it, or you're avoiding it and just kind of pushing it off by focusing on something else to take your mind off the stress. And that typically gives only temporary relief, but doesn't often solve the problems that are underlying and causing the stress. Right. And, and the stress hormone that we always hear about is cortisol. Right. And, and right. I know I've been doing a lot of a lot of reading on that lately because I'm like, my midsection didn't used to look like this. Why all of a sudden am I getting this way? And I really do think <laughs> that's part of it. I mean, they say that that you can gain weight in the belly area. And part of that being the stress eating. Some people eat more when they're stressed and some people can't eat when they're stressed. Right. And also when we eat, we often do our stress eating at night. When we're home mm. and we are, you know, sitting there thinking about all the things that we haven't done or need to do, we may uh, not be able to withstand the temptation to yeah. snack or eat, uh, even though we are trying to be disciplined. We don't have the willpower to to manage right. it as well at night, and so the stress wins out in that little evening battle on a regular basis for a lot of people. Yeah, oh, I definitely know that that is the thing that I turn to is food. But uh, some people have other types of, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms. And can you talk about some of those things and, and maybe how we can turn that around and turn it into more of a healthy behavior? Stress is omnipresent. Mm. We cannot avoid it. it, it uh, even taking a vacation, oftentimes people feel like they're stressed out about following an itinerary even. Or now COVID testing to get back into Honolulu without having to quarantine. So it's not unusual for us to go through a lot of uh, stressful kind of thinking and, and processing. Um, 
And research shows that there's basically several different ways we manage our stress. The most negative outcomes are associated with what they call avoidance coping, trying to put it off, trying to do something else to take our minds off of it, ignoring the problem. Uh, oftentimes we see people sleeping more, uh, consuming uh, drugs and alcohol, whether legal or illegal, or is a common coping mechanism to manage stress. Uh, and, and we know from research that those folks who are using those strategies tend to have the worst outcomes because the problems don't go away. They become oftentimes magnified and complicated by these additional uh, strategies to avoid. Um, the most, uh, I see, we'll go up the chain from there. The second, uh, the second best strategy for managing stress would be healthy coping like doing yoga in the morning, going, getting exercise regularly, activity is really good for stress management. Um, following a routine, like a regular daily routine, as well as a bedtime sleep-wake cycle routine, those things are good for managing stress, generally speaking. Eating well and eating healthy, all those things are great for stress management. Um, and they're healthy-based, like you know it's good for you, so you do it but maybe it feels good too, and that way you can sustain it. And that's a big, big part of, of managing stress is by doing something that's gonna be sustainable because it feels good, not just because you think you should do it. Um, the best though to manage uh, strategy for managing stress would be solution-focused coping, where you're actually looking at what the source of the stress is and, and coming up with strategies to manage it, whether it be talking to uh, a financial planner, to start to come up with real plans to manage your financial stress, which is one of the most common sources of stress for people. Or, um, you know, talking to family, talking to friends, processing the things that you're stressing out and getting people's feedback to help you kind of work through the, the thing that's stressing you out, making plans for what you're going to do about the stress. Uh, if it's an assignment that you've been putting off or um, something that you need to get done, like your taxes, putting it into your schedule, like I'm going to do it on this day. And then if you have a partner or somebody that you're doing it with, it's on the calendar, you get a reminder set and you uh, can then kind of have it in your head that you're going to do it. So at least you no longer have the stress of freaking out about the fact that you're avoiding it and blowing it off. So I think those are all really good strategies. Uh, the, the latter two, healthy coping and solution focused coping whereas avoidance coping tends to not be helpful. One interesting thing about coping in Hawaii is that we in Hawaii are a little bit different in our coping than on the mainland. On the mainland, coping with stress via religious prayer and or spiritual connectedness uh, tends to be seen as an avoidance strategy. It's like, uh, I'll just kind of put it off to a higher power and, and let them handle the stress. Um, but in Hawaii, I think people find that to be an integral part of coping. Uh, and I think that that's a, a powerful strategy uh, for people here is to allow themselves to utilize uh, kind of um, spiritualize uh, spirituality as a strategy for coping different yeah. than the mainland. Right. Well, I, I, mean, I would say I've done all of the above. You know, I think I for a while there I was trying to avoid the situation that I was dealing with. And I was I would put it all out there in the mornings. I'd be doing my prayers. Um, but then sometimes some people will say, you know, whoever you're praying to, whether it's God or, or somebody else, you got to meet them in the middle, right? You got to meet them where you're at. You can't just ask for a prayer and expect it to be answered. You have to do something about it. And so I realized that in about a week ago, you know, I, I finally decided I'm going to get this in order. I'm going to start eating healthier. I'm going to start exercising more. And, and sure enough, not only a week later, and I already feel so much better and I'm a cl more clear minded about what's going on. And you're able to yeah. kind of 
focus on things and and truly you know then i start writing down so that's when you're talking about the solution and and facing mm -hmm. that and trying to figure it out so I, I'm glad to know that I'm right there in line with all of this, all of this that you're talking about. I find it interesting though, because you know, I actually turned 40 this past year and happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing over the hill now, but but I was saying it's just not fair that you know our bodies suddenly know that we're 40 years old and everything just kind of changes and goes downhill and whatever. But does stress kind of change with with your age too, because I don't, I don't feel like I ever was a stressful person. And for some reason this year is just, wow, things are very different. I don't think that there's too much research looking at the developmental changes in how stress manifests in people as they age. But I think it'd be very interesting research to do because we do know that little kids tend to be very resilient and, um, but they do experience significant stressful life events. And if they do have significant stressful life events that does predict negative outcomes, um, such as incarceration, drug and alcohol use, and so forth. If they have four or more, you know, critical stressful life events as children, that can affect them. But a lot that is mediated by uh, their coping and whether they learn effective coping strategies as kids. Do we model effective coping as parents for our kids, or do we uh, avoid and then they are learning how to avoid and then they engage in the same coping strategies that we do, positive or negative? We're basically it's our obligation as parents, I think, and as a system, schools and so forth, to teach children how to cope with their stress. It's one thing to pile on the stress like some of the private schools do, um, but it's another thing to then also give them the skills and, and coach them on how to manage that stress, how to make a, a schedule and a study plan and how to use your planner and how to organize your time so that you can manage your time effectively and feel like you're doing solution-focused coping. If you are just trying to remember everything in your head, that's going to create more stress because you might forget. And then you're stressing out about having forgotten or that you might forget something. So solution-focused coping involves things like you said, writing things down, putting things onto a calendar, schedule, blocking time for this, blocking time for that onto your schedule so that you are committed to it and you're coping effectively with the stress. Um, adolescents tend to experience more stress um, as a function of bodily changes as well as the academic demands and I guess maybe transitional requirements associated with turning, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, because you're, you know, you're going through a major life transition physically and psychologically. Um, and then you also at that age um, start to experience the stress of things like, what am I going to do uh, with once I'm independent and have to take responsibility for myself? Um, I kind of don't want to. <laughs> and that can be very stressful for, for young people. The pandemic didn't help things at all with stress associated with what's going on with school and and why can't the adults manage the school system or or our our graduation effectively? What why is it always so different place to place? Why aren't people successfully pivoting? Um, some people do and some people don't. Why is that? So I think a lot of folk, uh, young people, are are pretty stressed out and disappointed with with I think how some people struggle to cope with stress. Uh, then as you go on into college and beyond, usually it gets a little bit better and you start to learn healthy coping strategies. But as we get older, everything shifts again and we have more financial coping, uh, financial stress, and uh, I would say relationship stress. Those are the two biggest ones that contribute to a lot of people's uh, psychological and emotional challenges as, as adults, um, navigating those very difficult uh, terrains, uh, finances and relationships is kind of tough. You're going through developmental changes yourself. 
I know that um, one of the big stressors that I've found has happened to me in my 50s is my sleep is has gone downhill. I'm not doing anything different. I, you know, still follow a routine. I do everything. But for some reason, my body wakes up at 4 a.m. like a clock and I can't seem to snap out of it. So I, I ask my friends and people I know, so how do you sleep? How much sleep do you get? And everybody I talk to talks about the fact that somehow or other, when they hit their 50s or somewhere around there, sleep goes down. And that's that's not that my stress has gone up, but it's causing me stress knowing that I'm not getting adequate sleep and that that could be affecting me in the long term. Oh, man. So if I have to uh, send you a text at four in the morning, you'd be all right. <laughs> well, I, I have my phone four. off, right? I have my phone off because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and not allowing any of these calls to disturb my sleep. But it, it doesn't help. So yes, if you texted me at four in the morning, I might be curious and look and see who who did that. <laughs> hey, well, all right. Well, you, we talked about kind of the signs and things that you'll see with that, or that comes with stress, I guess, as an adult, but you were mentioning children and adolescents. Are there things that we should be looking for, any kind of signs in our kids, in our teens that could, you know, lead us to think, oh man, our, you know, maybe our kids are stressed out. Maybe I need to have a little more grace, a little more compassion. What are the things that we need to be looking for in our children? That's a super question. I think you're looking for signs of uh, depression and anxiety that are correlated with stress, uh, like sleep-wake cycle problems. They may be online late in the evening and, and procrastinating, not doing their homework, and that's probably generating a lot of stress for them, and they're using avoidance coping to manage it. We watch for a loss of interest in the things that they used to enjoy doing. They call that anhedonia, and that's what happens when you kind of get depressed or get stressed out, is you no longer want to do stuff that you used to like to do. We watch for um, changes in appetite or changes in weight, loss or gain. Um, and we also, one of the best indicators I've seen regarding whether or not an adolescent is managing their stress well is of course academics. So I would say if you're concerned and you have an inkling that something's going on with your kid, I would contact the school teachers uh, and find out is, uh, is how's my child's work looking. And if it looks like it's deteriorated or they're not turning things in on time anymore, or they have, are slipping, that's a good indication that stress is, is, is in, infiltrating their well-being and impacting them. Like I mentioned, to the degree that they're no longer able to function and perform their roles and responsibilities effectively. And that would include being a student, being a, a son or a daughter, uh, being a sibling, being a friend. So if they're starting to fail in some of those roles, like you hear, oh, they, they're not going out with their friends anymore. Nah, I don't, I don't want to hang with my friends. Too busy, got too much work. But then you see that they're actually not doing the work. They're just overwhelmed with it. That's when you probably want to step in with them and have a very supportive, empathic conversation about stress and come up with a stress management plan with the child with the or the teen. It's like, this is what you're doing isn't, isn't working real well. What do you think you can do to manage your stress? What do you think you want to try? Do you want to kind of, try to do a scheduling thing. We block off certain chunks of time for certain things. Uh, I, with my kids, we did a, a nightly uh, routine that included physical massage to help my kids wind down because they were having a, a hard time falling asleep. And, you know, books and storytelling wasn't enough. They were ruminating on the day's activities and friends and stuff that was not going well. And so I would, we would do some back rubs and other kinds of things to help our kids to settle. Uh, and that seemed to work, uh, but now they're older and they don't touch me, Dad. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. so it's okay. You know, I'll I'll deal with that. Um, but they have learned 
healthier stress management strategies I think my kids have. Um, the mom and I worked on that a lot with them, but they're also put things off or they'll be on top of it and expect everybody else to be on top of it. And if they're not, if young people are trying really hard to manage their stress, but then they involve others in their stress management, that can create more stress. Like I'm going to get together with my friends and we're going to exercise, but if the friends don't show up, then they're adding stress rather than managing it. So it's tricky to bring others into your stress management strategies. Ideally, I think you're just trying to find out what's going to work for you where you don't have to rely on other people to to cope and to manage. Um, it's the example of that would be that I have to um, do something like write a paper and uh, I'm like, okay, I'll get help. That's how I manage my stress. Well, oftentimes we can't rely on the people we, we, we expect to help us to be available at the time. Something might come up for them. And so now, now I'm like, Oh, I'm even more stressed because I thought I was going to get help with my paper, but I can't make that appointment to get the help. And so now I'm feeling really nervous and anxious about it. Yeah, yeah. that happens. I think, I mean, becoming a parent, it's probably one of the biggest nightmares to, to suddenly think of your child, you know, going through <laughs> such hard times. And then I also read or hear about, you know, teen suicide or even preteen suicide or even the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously a lot of that coming from stressful situations and so some parents, you know, will brush it off and say, ah, it's just the age, you know, my kids, is, it's a pre, they're a preteen. This is just what you go through. And some parents will tell you that, ah, they're just preteens. That's how it goes. At what point though, do you say, no, I got to put my foot down. Something is not right. When do you get help? When, and what do we do? Who do we seek out? So I think the first, the first point I would make is that one in seven to one in 10 adolescents in Hawaii, seventh to 12th grade considers and or attempts suicide. So it's, it's, you know, when it, one in seven is, is pretty high. Uh, even one in 10 is high. Uh, the national average yeah. is, I think, one in 11. So we're actually a little bit above the national average in terms of suicidal ideation and, and attempts. And I think one in 13 actually tries to kill themselves. So it's pretty common. I'm not, I have to double check on those numbers. They change a little bit from year to year. But the gist of it is that we have a, a very serious problem such that the government is putting a lot of money towards education and and early identification of children who are at risk and adolescents who are at risk for depression and suicide. The first thing they teach you when you're learning about talking to a kid about these issues is that you have to speak flat out straight out. You can't use fluffy words or kind of talk around it or dance around it. You have to go right at it. You have to ask this teenager if they're thinking about taking their own life, if they don't want to live anymore. And then, you know, as soon as you hear some sense that they're struggling with that or they're crying or they're having suicidal ideation, that's super scary for parents and kids. Yeah. So that's that's where you have to call for a psychologist or a mental health professional to to get support. Psychiatrists are great. They will often prescribe medications, but some do therapy as well to try to support um, children and adolescents who are experiencing, and anyone who's experiencing this kind of depression or uh, stress-related anxiety and depression. Psychologists, that's what I do. That's my, that's, we do only therapy though. We don't prescribe in Hawaii. There are some with prescriptive authority through the military or native American health services, but psychologists don't typically use prescribed medication to treat. We'll coordinate that effort with a psychiatrist and and be the therapy side of a of a two team two person team to support a kid. And then the therapy, it's usually cognitive behavioral therapy to help kids recognize that their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are all connected. We have to kind of get at that hopelessness, get at the core of what's what their thoughts are, what kinds of faulty thinking they're doing about their, themselves or the world or their future that is uh, maintaining and or triggering the depression. Yeah, but I think it's always appropriate at any point. You don't have to wait to talk about your kid's stress bucket and have a conversation about stress. 
and ask them, you know, how big is your stress bucket? Do you think you have a big stress bucket, a medium-sized stress bucket, or a little stress bucket? And let them say what they think, and then follow that up with the very important question of why do you say that? Why do you think your stress bucket's big? Oh, I think my stress bucket's big because I have I go to a private school when it's so competitive and challenging, and and I still do well, and I'm good at a lot of things because I'm, I, I I find stress helps me kind of do better. It's great. You have a big stress bucket. Then I would ask that additional follow-up question of what would it take for you to feel like your stress bucket is is overflowing? At what point does that happen for you? And how do you show it? How does it manifest when you when you start to leak? What do you what do you look like? And some people, when they leak, they get really quiet, they sleep a lot more, and they shut down. And other people, when they leak, they get a bit more aggressive and angry and bitter. And we do know that um, abuse and neglect, or specifically abuse, has been on the rise during COVID. As in my opinion, one of the direct functions or impacts of stress on kids and adults has been the pandemic and the financial stress that's caused. And yeah. some people, when they get that intense financial stress and they don't know where their next paycheck's coming from and they're, they're freaking out, that's what leads to increases in negative coping, like substance abuse, which in, in itself is both a direct consequence of, as well as a potential cause of abuse. Oh gosh, really disheartening stuff. And we're just- Heavy. Yeah, we got it. it. We get. I, I mean, it's stuff that we don't talk about a lot. We don't talk about the suicide. No. We don't talk about the abuse a ton. And so I'm, I'm glad we're at least touching on it and hoping that it's opening up minds of people who are listening and, you know, and, and trying to get our kids to open up and talk. If it's not to their parents, at least to someone, right? Yeah, that's a big coping strategy for folks, but not always the case for Hawaii folks. Some people don't believe yeah. in talking talking about their problems. They have a grin and bear it, and and you know, can can mm-hmm. still can. I can handle. And then yeah. that, um, that may or may not be so. Um, right. So if folks are really stoic and don't want to talk about their stress, there's not much you can do um, except to try to keep on working at them and, and encourage them and role model healthy coping, invite them to an exercise class with you, watch out for your friends, be there for your friends. And, and if you see a friend that's stressful, stressed out and, and having trouble, you, you can tense it, have a talk with them. From the heart. What are some of those things that we can do if we if we have a loved one who is stressing out? What what can we do to help them? First, I think is to listen. Invite your loved one or friends to talk about their stress. What is the trigger, or what are the triggers, and what are they doing to cope with that stress? I think a second thing we do to manage stress is to get physical. What psychologists will often do is ask the client or the patient, and when they're uh, relaxed and sitting in a chair, to do what's called a visual scan, a mental scan. In their minds, they kind of close their eyes and scan their bodies to feel where are they experiencing stress, where are they experiencing tension. If they try to relax their shoulders, is that easy for them? Does it feel like their shoulders are sagging really easily or does it seem like it's taking a long time for them to allow their body to let go and to relax? So we'll do a, a, a bodily check-in first, kind of sense and identify where the stress is. And then we typically will encourage them to do physical activity as a stress management strategy. It may just be stretching that area that feels that there's a lot of tension, whether it be the shoulders, then we're going to be doing some shoulder stretches to kind of allow uh, for some relief of the tension that's existing in the body. If they're feeling it in their stomachs, we may encourage them to do a dietary change and and maybe do something that will be not necessarily comfort food, but healthy food to see if that impacts their, their coping and their stress and say, you know, 
eat healthy for the next two or three days and see what impact that has on your sense of stress. See if that, that provides you some sense of relief. Try to focus on solution-focused coping. As I mentioned, the solution-based stuff. What can you do to relieve your stressful situation? What part of the stress is within your control? And what part of the stress is outside of your control so you can have permission to let go of the things that you can control? Like COVID, we can control what the governor's proclamation says about who it can and can't and when we have to wear masks and so forth. But what we, we can do is we can kind of cope with that. If I know that I'm going to have to wear PPE or I'm going to have to go get tested, go online and read up on it. The Safe Travels website has a nice video. It's very simple, very clear. Uh, and that's a good way to kind of demystify the stress so that we know what's in our control and what's not and what we can do. Try to use proven coping strategies. What has worked for you in the past is what I'll typically ask people. Have you had stress like this before? What did you do then that helped? Did you do something then that actually made it worse so that you're getting a sense of what they want to avoid and what they may want to try? And then lastly, I would say uh, identify resources. There's a lot of really good coping resources out there online. And the one that I, I really like is uh, for kids is helpyourkeiki.com. It's the state of Hawaii can be child and adolescent mental health division website developed in coordination with the University of Hawaii. And uh, helpyourkeiki.com is a wonderful source of support for families who are worried about their children who may be experiencing a lot of stress and are having some difficulties. And then online for ourselves, you can go to pretty much any stress and coping website and identify some cool stuff. Additional resources I use are those great apps like Calm or Headspace, or even the ones that just help you fall asleep because they play white noise, sounds of the rain or tropical rainforest um, that can help kind of allow our auditory processing to help relieve our stress because it's all connected. You can be listening to something that you really like that causes your stress to go down. You know, the other day, I, I after my exercise session, I did a, a brief thing of yoga with the class and I, it was, it was like coming into that, having that mental scan. They were telling us, be aware of everything, your body. And on my last breath out, I just, I started bawling and it was so embarrassing and I cried, but, and I was like, I don't know what's going on with me, but you know, the teacher told me, she's like, this is what it's for. It's a cleansing thing. Just let it out. And so, you know, a lot of times we, we don't want to cry. We don't want to let it out, but it did help. It was healing. Oh yeah. It can be very healing. I think to, uh, get your physical stuff out. They used to have this thing called primal scream therapy, when you scream as loud as you could, and that's supposed to be therapeutic <laughs> into a pillow, preferably. Um, but research does not support that as an effective treatment for coping with stress. Um, but what you described sounds like what they call catharsis, which is your body's just releasing all that extra uh, intense energy, and it allows for you to feel better. Um, a lot of people find that after a good cry, they feel relaxed and calm. Uh, and that that itself is kind of a cathartic thing. You don't need to yell, I think, uh, as long as you are able to let the emotions out in some way. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Well, I can definitely attest to a lot of the things that you told us today. And you've given us a lot of really great information and coping strategies. And, and hopefully it does help some people out. You know, probably, I don't know, most people I talk to are experiencing some sort of stress in this time right now. So, Absolutely. Well, I would say as a last point about it, when you're trying to decide, what am I going to do to cope? Go with what, you know, identifies you as a person. It's like, what is my identity? Am I uh, a physical coper? What is my tendency? What is my natural proclivity in terms of coping? If you are naturally a substance user to cope and you, you know, take drugs and alcohol, then you have to look at that and say, that's probably going to cost me years of life. So I have to come up with something that 
does something similar for me physically that I enjoy, um, but that is a much more healthier coping strategy that's going to yield long-term benefits in terms of my health and wellness and coping. Um, right. alternatives, alternatives to negative coping sometimes are hard for people. Again, I would look to resources and maybe, maybe get together with a, a therapist, a psychologist, a counselor to talk about coping. And I, I need some new strategies. The way I'm doing right now, this alcohol abuse and this sleeping thing that I'm doing is not working for me. And I don't know what to do. And that's a perfect question to ask as an entree into therapeutic relationship. Okay. Well, I am writing all of this stuff down today, Dr. Sternberg. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for helping us all out today. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. All right. Dr. Stern has helped us today connect the dots on stress and coping. Connecting the Dots is a UHA-sponsored podcast. With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health.